Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is Talking Motorcycles with Barry Boone. Talking Motorcycles, the radio show that covers the world of motorcycles and motorcycle racing. We're here to entertain you, inform you of new products, and enhance your love of motorcycling. Road race, flat track, touring, scooters, vintage, you name it, we discuss it right here on Talking Motorcycles. And now, here's your host, pro race announcer and third generation motorcycle rider, Barry Boone. Hello and welcome back to. Oh my! More music. I like it. Hello and welcome back to the show. Riders call home. I'm your host. I'm Barry Boone. Thank you for joining us. We have a great show for you today. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we are going to have in just a few moments with Perry King, actor, director, motorcyclist. I mean, literally, when I think of American TV stars. I have to tell you, and I and I know he's done a lot more than TV. I do. Um, however, when I really think about Perry King, and I think you'll agree, uh, he's a TV star. That's all. He's been there and done that in his career, and he's still very, very active uh, in film. Uh, he's, he's, of course, as we said, big star on television and Broadway. Um, some of my favorite roles, shoot, I'd have to go to Riptide. Uh, back in the uh, mid mid eighties, uh, three or four years, I think that show was on air. Liked it, really enjoyed the role uh, as Cody Allen, um, as Haley Armstrong on Melrose Place. I think many of you will remember him from that. Uh, all kinds of recent TV credits. Uh, Heather Locklear's uh, love interest in uh, ABC's very popular Spin City. Uh, hilarious uh, guest star on NBC's hit comedy Will and Grace. Uh, gosh, it goes on and on and on and on and on. If you don't believe me, uh, just do a little Wikipedia search on Perry King and, and see for yourself uh, what a major, major American uh, television star we have in Perry King, who also happens to be a car and motorcycle enthusiast, a father, uh, a race car driver, a grandfather, a rancher. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes on and on, but the one thing that you get to know quickly, and you will hear it in his voice, is that uh, he's very, very comfortable with his own skin, with who he is, with what he does, and uh, really, really an avid motorcyclist and a director uh, of the American Motorcyclist Association since, I believe, 2008, very active within all that they do. So that is our guest on this show, and we're looking forward to having Perry on here in just a little bit. I want to talk to you about, now, if you're listening to this show as a podcast weeks, months later, like I know some of you will be, we're just about uh, 10 days before the start of uh, Daytona Bike Week here in my hometown. We are broadcasting live uh, from the Clearwater Lights studio here, uh, surrounded by many different motorcycles, which I love that my studio's here in the garage. And uh, Bike Week here in my town is about to get underway, and it's going to be big. I'm, I understand hoteliers are reporting um, amazing amount of bookings. In fact, a little tip for you if you're coming, 
the Comfort Inn and Suites down in uh, South Daytona area uh, has rooms, I just found out. And you need to call down there and tell them Talking Motorcycle sent you unpaid endorsement of a fine place uh, to stay. And beyond that, they have rooms. And that's really, really good. Uh, that's the, com- uh, the uh, Comfort Inn and Suites. Great place. Um, at any rate, Bike Week is about to get underway. And it's going to be big. Um, I want to, for my Harley Davidson friends, and really, I should not limit it to Harley Davidson friends. There's so much going on at Ross Myers Daytona Harley Davidson compound. It doesn't really matter what you ride. There is everything to do, everything to see. Uh, I think they're going to have close to 100 or more vendors on hand. And folks, they don't just choose average run-of-the-mill vendors, but they don't have to choose anybody. Uh, every a lot of people in the industry long ago recognized that Ross Myers Daytona Harley is kind of one of the uh, top two or three epicenters of Bike Week. I mean, you've got Daytona International Speedway, you've got um, Main Street area, including Beach Street, and you have that whole US one uh, quarter up there uh, where uh, you will find. Ross Myers, Daytona, Harley Davidson. What all do they have going on? Um, shoot, a lot. Uh, first of all, they have all kinds of really just fun and cool things. On Sunday the 12th, they have the uh, True Grit, Warren Lane's True Grit pre-1977 bike show. Uh, on the 14th day of March, they have uh, Mark Brody's People's Choice American V-Twin custom bike show. Uh, Wednesday the 15th, Paro, it's paint, paint bike um show is on that's there's always amazing motorcyclists of all of all stripes there thursday the 16th is the official harley davidson ride-in bike show and the women's mda ride which is very very popular uh the biggest uh, bagger baddest bagger something uh daytona bike show where all the customized dressers in the world show up on friday march 17th competing for honors and then there's concerts at ross myers uh pavilion now known as the Russ Brown pavilion at destination Daytona. And they have concerts all week long, starting Friday, March the 10th uh, through I believe Sunday where Richard Lynch band is performing. Great show. Uh, That's going to be at noon on Sunday to close things out, but literally uh, multiple bands every day there at Ross Myers at the uh, uh, Russ Brown pavilion. So you can check that out at bruceRossmeyer.com. I think you'll be, happy you did. Uh, I, for one, of course, always enjoy that because I'm big on, um, I love Harley Davidson's. It's my life. I'm third generation motorcyclist. I own several brands, but when it comes to like cross country touring, the wife and I could be found on an electric glide. And right now we still have a 2017, uh, Milwaukee eight ultra classic here, courtesy of the Harley Davidson motor company that we just love. It's the best engine ever. You should find time to test ride one. Uh, when you are at, uh, bike week if you are uh, one of those who gets to come and i hope you do uh it's march 11th through the 18th now harley davidson's going to be everywhere uh they'll have their complete 27 motorcycle lineup out at daytona international speedway including the just introduced road king special and other really fully customized models they'll have genuine parts and accessory display there along with the all-new spectra glow lighting systems uh, the ninth, uh, Harley Davidson's ninth V twin engine, the aforementioned Milwaukee eight is going to be on display with all kinds of things. You can learn about that. They'll have an engine right there and lots and lots of material and information. If you haven't ridden one, 
and and you are looking at or considering any touring motorcycle, got to ride a new touring chassis Harley Davidson with the Milwaukee Eights, a revolutionary change for them. Uh, it looks, sounds, and feels like a Harley Davidson through and through, but I promise you, you've never ridden anything like it. It is velvety smooth, super quick. And of course, the show of suspension has all been updated on that uh, chassis as well. So check it out. One of my favorite features uh, uh, that Harley Davidson does out at the Speedway is every day they have police skills demonstration and they've got different officers, motor officers, uh, riding uh, dressers, Electroglide Harleys, um, putting them through their paces right there for you. I mean, you're like five feet from them. You can watch it. It is an incredible thing to see the, the talent and the skill sets that those motor officers possess. And it might remind all of us we need to work a little bit harder on our riding skills. I know I do. Uh, there's the uh, Ivis Brothers uh, race at the Motodrome at the Wall of Death. Uh, Harley Davidson Fit Shop where you can try on various seats and handlebars and stuff for your bike. Uh, Willie G. Hog and Harley Davidson Museum commemorative merchandise will all be there. Then they have Rally Point at the Speedway where uh, you can meet uh, Sam, Thor, Bruce, and all the other HD staff members there at the Hog Rally Point. That's happening all week, every day, all day long. Uh, they're going to kick off Bike Week because they are the official uh, motorcycle presenter of uh, Daytona Bike Week again this year and for years to come. They're going to break open. Uh, all the activities down at Dirty Harry's right on Main Street, the most historic Main Street in America for motorcyclists. And uh, Dirty Harry's is located at 705 Main Street. Hairball will be playing, great band. And uh, they're going to do a, a tribute to Arena Rock. I don't think you want to miss it. It's going to be really cool. Uh, the Factory Harley Flat Track guys will be there on March the uh, 16th to race. Uh, Brandon Robinson, Jake uh, Johnson, and Kenny Coolbeth Jr., uh, Eddie and Andrew, huh? Eddie, uh, the, the, uh, first race of the pro stock motorcycle drag racing will be happening over Gainesville, the Harley Davidson ride everyday motorcycle show Thursday. It, there's just too much to do. Check it out at h d.com. And, and all I ask you to do, if, uh, you, you're out there test riding motorcycles, just slip on over to, uh, Harley Davidson. You can't miss them right there in front of the speedway, the newly imagined $400 million speedway and check it out because it is going to be, uh, one, I think a motorcycle you want to ride, you need to ride. You want to check out a uh, couple more minutes left. Let's see. I want to tell you about what is talking motorcycles doing during uh, Daytona bike week this year. Well, we're all kind of all over the place. Uh, we've, uh, signed a deal with WNDB, uh, FM 93.5 and AM 1150. They also have a nice WNDB app you can download. You can hear all these shows live. I'll be reposting them moments after they end uh, on our internet radio link. So they'll hit your uh, iTunes or your uh, podcast app on your phone, just the same as all shows do. But they're going to be live from 8 to 9 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, March 13th, 14th, and 15th. And I believe... Uh, and you can, I'll get back with you on this, but I believe they're going to be at the Bahama Breeze restaurant right across from the Speedway, as we did last year. We have an amazing guest list for you. I think you're going to really dig it. Some people you're going to want to be there and meet, shake hands with, and they'll love to meet you too. And uh, you can listen to it on the app. You can listen to it on 93.5 FM if you're in Daytona, or uh, you can just uh, simply... Uh, Catch it on the uh, Block Talk Radio link via Apple's iTunes store or uh, iTunes. Either way, however you usually find us, you'll find us. So that's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, on Thursday night, I'm really excited about the American Flat Track Daytona TT. The twins 
uh, are going to be uh, the motorcycle of choice for the first time in Daytona history. Uh, they are going to be riding twins on the TT. And best of all, is they're building right now today, as I speak to you, they are constructing the racetrack, which will actually be in the trioval at Daytona International Speedway. It will be under the lights on a Thursday evening, Daytona TT. That's right, tourist trophy, left turns, right turns, and a jump. It's made out of a real, the track is made out of a very special compound. In fact, uh, Ricky Carmichael will be constructing his supercross track right over the top of it. And then they'll take all that dirt out and leave the special compound track that they're building for the TT. So very, very excited about that. Uh, Scotty Dubler and myself will be hosting and announcing the uh, Ivy League flat track, a concrete clash on the coast. And that's from the beautiful Ocean Center uh, right down on the coastal highway, A1A in the heart of downtown Daytona. That's something you're going to want to see. Have you ever seen flat track motorcycles on concrete? I have, and you will want to. It's going to be a great show. Looking forward to working with my old partner at uh, AMA Pro Flat Track, now American Flat Track, Scotty Dubler on that one. And then, of course, on the um, that, that's Friday the 17th, by the way, at Ocean Center. And then on Saturday the 18th, of course, the famed Daytona 200 will happen in the afternoon as well. You'll have a choice to make here as well as Billy Lane's Sons of Speed will be happening. They have leased the uh, quarter mile, excuse me, half mile high banked asphalt racetrack out at New Smyrna Speedway in New Smyrna Beach. And they're going to have the Sons of Speed. They'll be riding those beautiful board track racers and racing. And you're going to know some of the riders, Buzz Cantor, American Iron Magazine, uh, Shelly Rossmeyer, Ross Myers, Daytona Harley. Of course, I'm sure Billy Lane will be competing and many others who you will know will be racing those old board trackers on the half mile paved oval. I can't wait. I know it's going to be great. We're going to be uh, all over the place during Daytona Bike Week. And I hope to get together with some of you and maybe get a little ride in somewhere, have a cup of coffee and catch up and visit. And if I don't, and I haven't often enough said thank you, thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for sharing it with your motorcycling friends. It means everything to us that you do. Um, we do not talk about the American Motorcyclist Association enough on this show. Uh, there's quite honestly isn't time to talk about everything I want to talk about. But I want to take a minute and tell you, well, for one thing, my uncle, George W. Boone, who most of you in the motorcycle racing world would know as junior, uh, he taught Earl Hayden to ride a motorcycle, Nikki, Tommy, and Roger Lee Hayden's father. He taught him to ride, and we took him to racetracks and taught him to flat track. And from there, the rest is history. That's my uncle, George W. Boone. He was a charter life member of the AMA, and I would visit him frequently throughout his life, especially in his older years. We got to hang more. We rode more till he got to be older, but he rode all the way to the end. Uh, he, he was 75 when he had a heart condition. But he rode throughout his entire life. I rode many, many miles with him. A great man. And we would sit in the chairs and and read uh, the American, the uh, Motorcyclist magazine and talk about the AMA and talk about the people. And it's a great thing and a great organization. And Perry King will actually help us all to understand why we need to be members of the AMA. There's so much going on. So up next, Perry King, his life as a major television star, his life as a motorcyclist. That's something we're going to talk about. And perhaps we'll enter into some of the business that's going on to uh, at the AMA to protect all of us our, as riders and, and our rights. 
This show is brought to you by Clearwater Lights, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, Bell Power Sports, and this portion of the Talking Motorcycles program has been brought to you by the Harley-Davidson Motor Company. I, I am on the downhill side of finishing, uh, kind of revamping, bringing back to life, recommissioning a 1995 Ultra Classic that I've looked for for a long time. I found a 17,000-mile, 22-year-old Ultra, and I just love evolution-powered Harleys, and we're bringing this one back to life, and it is really turning into a showroom-fresh, beautiful 17,000-mile 95 also have been spending a lot of time on our 58 uh, FLH dual glide, first year dual glide Harley. And I got to tell you something, uh, Harleys are amazing. And if you haven't ridden a new Milwaukee 8, go get the job done. You're going to love it. We're going to be right back. Much more to come. Perry King will be joining us as soon as we get through this quick initial break on the program. Visors down, clutches out. Let's go. Talking Motorcycles is live. Your ride is more than just miles. It's a mission to squeeze more freedom out of every click of the odometer. Introducing the 2017 Touring Bikes from Harley-Davidson. The powerful, all-new Milwaukee 8 engine delivers 10% more torque for quicker acceleration. Paired with a new suspension that gives you more comfort and control on every ride. What does uncompromised freedom feel like? Why don't you find out for yourself? Discover more at h-d.com and live your legend. Compared with original equipment, 2016 Touring Models. When an automobile driver hits a motorcyclist, what is the first thing the driver says? I didn't see them. That's right after they have suddenly turned left into your path. When we crash our motorcycle, what is the first thing we say? I didn't see it in time. Could have been a deer, a decreasing radius corner, sand, or debris in your lane. The simple fact is most motorcycle accidents are preventable. And that is why I, Barry Boone of Talking Motorcycles, recommends Clearwater Lights. The ability to see and be seen on our motorcycle is exactly how we prevent avoidable motorcycle accidents. When you call Clearwater Lights, you will speak to a real live person who specializes in you and quality products. Clearly, there's a brighter idea. Check them out at clearwaterlights.com. This portion of the Talking Motorcycles program brought to you by our good friends at Clearwater Lights. And uh, I want to tell you congratulations to uh, Glenn Stasky at Clearwater Lights. And a special congratulations to Carl Reese, who we had on this program a couple of weeks ago. And Carl had set a new Los Angeles to New York uh, long-distance motorcycle record of 39 hours. Incredible. Now, this past weekend, they have completed the feat that people did not think was possible, and they have now set the new uh, 24-hour mileage record for one man on a closed course on a motorcycle, and they did it uh, down at the, uh, I believe, Continental Tire Proving Grounds in Texas. And on his K1600 uh, GT motorcycle BMW, he had 30,000 lumens of clear water lights to light his way. And not only that, but I know Glenn was all up in the middle of the pit stops of helping to coordinate the, the tire strategies. And 
And but the guy that turned the throttle on the motorcycle and did it at an average of about 127 mile an hour laps, lap after lap after lap. Carl Reese is to be congratulated as now he is the 24 hour world record holder and it will be certified by Guinness Book of World Records. It will, I promise. So congratulations to Clearwater and, and Carl and all the people that back Carl because he has a great charity that we talked about on the show, and we are all about that. So uh, congrats, buddy. And now it's time, with no further ado, to bring in a motorcycle, a consummate motorcyclist who also happens to be a whole lot of other things, as we talked about earlier and mainly a friend to motorcyclists everywhere, Perry King. Welcome aboard. God, thanks, Perry. Good to talk to you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for being on with us. Um, man, oh, man, things have been busy for you. I know of late you have a lot of projects in the fire, and I know you have a new new movie, a new film that you're working on. I can't wait to hear more about that. And, gosh, we're going to have a fun time talking about your life as uh, an, uh, an actor. <laughs> Uh, your oh, life good. as a motorcyclist, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Hey, yeah, did you ever, that, how did you, uh, that's maybe the most important thing to me, almost more than anything but my kids is motorcycles. That's really Man, the truth. I get it. No, I get it. It's a driving force. It, it, and once it, they, yeah. once motorcycles get you, you can't get away from them. Um, how yeah, did you discover, yeah, mo- so how did you discover motorcycles uh, first? How did that come about that you became one? Oh, I think I, I think I had a pretty common experience. I, I saw some things as a kid. I remember being on the road with my family going on a vacation in the summer when I was, I don't know, seven or eight or something. And we passed a guy on the road. It was now I can, I can see a photograph of him in my head, you know, cause I remember it so well. And I think he was on an old BSA twin and he had full leathers on bunch of luggage strapped to his bike and a big sign that said California or bust. Now this is back. Huh. East. This is back in Massachusetts, right? And I just remember looking at that guy and thinking, I want all of that, every bit of it. I want the bike. I want the leathers. I want the the sign and the destination. You know, and you know the, how that that stuff is so powerful when you're a kid. To all of us, you know those those powerful things that hit you for the first time just never let go of you. And uh, oh, I, I do. Yeah, and then my father. When I got a little older and I was getting close to maybe being able to get a little mini bike or something, my father, who was a surgeon, meaning well, I mean, I loved the man my whole life. He's still my hero, but he made a big mistake. He said to me, because he'd seen people hurt by motorcycles, he said, the one thing you can never do is have a motorcycle. Well, <laughs> hell, that just, that was it, you know? <laughs> I've been, he taught me a great lesson about parenting because I learned you never take a, a kid on head to head. You never say never to a kid because all you're doing is guaranteeing. You know, he said you could never have a motorcycle. I, I think I own 30 motorcycles now. I mean, look what he did. <laughs> well, especially a teenage boy with stars in his eyes that says, I'm going to have Absolutely. Yeah. And for anybody out there who's hearing this and, and they have a kid girl or boy that wants to ride a motorcycle and they're scared, here's the solution. And I've thought long and hard about this. I've told a lot of people about this because you're scared. You don't want to, you don't want them to ride a motorcycle that you can get hurt or killed on the street so fast. So what you say to them is you say, great, not only am I okay with that, I'll buy you a motorcycle and I'll buy myself one. I'll buy us both dirt bikes 
and all the equipment, and you and I will ride together and enjoy it together if you promise me you won't ride on the street. Now, you know, when they're grown up and they're good motorcyclists, because you know this, riding dirt is how you get to be good on the street. Then, then later, maybe they can move over to the street if they want to and they can be safer. But the worst thing that ever happens in the dirt is maybe you break an arm or a leg and a, and a boy is going to do that anyway somewhere. So what the hell, you know? So that's what I, you do with your kid. If your kid wants a motorcycle, tell him you'll join him with it. And if the kid promises not to ride on the street, just on the dirt, and then they get to love motorcycles. That's the best I've heard on that topic. And I agree with you wholeheartedly because a man who learns to ride a motorcycle off-road can be very comfortable and very proficient motorcyclist on-road. They make the best street riders. Right. Yeah, that's where you get good is off-road. And I've seen from the AMA from years of being on the, you know, being in the AMA and then, I don't know, eight years or something on the board, I've seen that it is the greatest family activity. All the time we'd have these events and races and weekends and these families would show up and they would share so much fun and everything with bikes, girls, boys, father, mother, everybody. They'd have so much fun. It's, it's, it's really the best part about the AMA is, is the family entertainment together. You know, families sharing something together. So, you know, these days worse than ever. I mean, all the kids are so deeply with their noses pressed against their phones and you can't get them to pay attention to anything. But if you get exactly. them out for a weekend, everybody loves it. It's healthy. It's wonderful. It's, uh, yeah, it's just, I love it. What can I tell you? I, it, I'm, I'm a lucky guy because I've got two things that I've always loved my whole life, aside from my kids, and that is motorcycling and acting. Those two passions have just propelled me through a, a whole lifetime. And Anybody who's passionate about anything, I don't care what it is, is a lucky person. A lot of people well, never find anything to be passionate well, about. Well, right, right. L- lucky and, and it's a life fulfilled. It's a life well lived because you've spent it doing the things you truly love to do. I worked, Perry, yeah, for a, exactly a right. number of I worked for a number of years. Um, Ken Salant and some of the guys at AMA in Ohio had they sure. hired me to an, the amateur, oh yeah, the amateur national uh, flat track series for several years in a row. And I would go to that amateur nationals and watch those families. And they learn all the things. They learn about the broken arms. They learn about winning. Yeah. They learn about losing. They learn about motorcycles. And, yeah. and the AMA runs yeah. a crack amateur program. It oh, is yeah. excellent. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's great. You know, the AMA is the biggest sanctioner of racing and competition in the world, bigger than any other organization, even though, you know, it's not, amazingly, it's not, people don't realize that. But, you know, one of the things that I love about racing is it teaches you what you need to know. A critical part of life is people always look at the winners, you know, who's a winner. And racing teaches you very quickly, winners are not the people who win. Winners are the people that lose all the time and never quit until they win. That's what a winner is. And that's what oh, that's a fact. always teaches you, you know? That's a fact. And, and learning how to yeah. lose gracefully and, and be respectful of your competitors and all of that is just yeah. life lessons we yeah. use over and over in every aspect yeah. of our life. And learning we use how, how to not give up, how to not quit. You know, it's that old cliche. It's not that you get knocked down. It's can you get back up again? That's because Amen. boy, in acting, Amen. That's, that's the, you know, you don't see it. If you're not in my profession of acting, nobody sees it. That's not in it. 
But acting is not about the, the movies, the TV, the shows, the stage work that you do. That's the vacation. The job of acting is going into these auditions, and nobody likes them. Everybody hates them. And you go into these meetings. They're all usually very quick and brutal. And basically, 99 times out of 100 at least, they basically say, go away. No, we don't want you. We don't like you. Get out of here. You're not who we want. Learning how to eat that and go on and come back next time with everything you've got going for you. The, you know the movie La La Land, which was a big hit this year, and I'm yeah. sure a lot of people see it out there. And it's it's a wonderful movie. It's really interesting because it's a musical, and that's rare. But the best part of the movie to me is Emma Stone, who's an aspiring actress in the movie, has two or three audition scenes. Now, I've never seen auditions portrayed accurately before, but those auditions in that movie, the, the, there are like three of them, and the first two are absolutely accurate. That's what it's like to do it. And they're yeah. very... They're depressing and down scenes because basically she's working her her, her heart out and, and nobody cares. Nobody's paying any attention. Then she has an audition at the end that where they say to her, we want to build the part around you. And that's just a fantasy. That never happens. <laughs> I don't know where they, why they put that in there. But the first two auditions are really what it's like every time over and over. I don't care if you're well-known. You know, people look at me and they think, oh, yeah, you've been around forever, so it must be easy for you to just sit around and you say yes or no. Uh-uh, no. If I want to be in stuff, i got to go out there and audition and sell myself. You know, it, it, it it's pretty tough. It, it sometimes feels like you're a hooker on Main Street, you know, trying to figure out how to say, hey, have you got a match in a new and novel way? But, you know, I, I, what you got to do. I, this is so incredibly interesting to me because I know, and, and I am an outsider, obviously not a Hollywood insider, but I've seen it like s s people you love who portray different uh, characters on television or in movies and you really enjoy them and you go to see everything they do. And then all of a sudden you don't even realize they're yeah. gone or not doing movies yeah. until you don't see them again. And you forget about yeah. them, so I, to speak. Absolutely. And, you know, nobody realizes they're gone except for one person. <laughs> that person realizes yeah. he or she is gone. And it hurts. And, you know, it's just – and, I mean, I've, I've been given wonderful acting advice from some of the best. But one of the best was <clears throat> Jeff and Bo Bridges both once told me that you've got to get comfortable with – going up and down, up and down. That's the way it is. So Bo Bridges specifically said to me once when I was moaning about not having a job and wanting to work, and he said, listen, enjoy the time when you're down because you know you're going to go back up again. And when you're up, enjoy the hell out of being up because you know you're going to go back down again. Just ride the waves, man, because it's, you can't do anything about it. You've chosen well, that's a profession where that's, that's what it is. Well, that's life too. That's like divine dichotomy. Yeah. Dr. Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer in one of his uh, audio books I listened to one time said, if you can enjoy sitting at the stoplight while it is red, as much as you enjoy that feeling <laughs> yeah. of pushing the throttle and going yeah. when it's green, then you're happy all the time. Right. And that's what, that's what Absolutely. he was telling you. Really. Yeah. 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 That is that's, so cool. That's, Buddhist, that's I'm not a Buddhist, but I know that's the Buddhist point of uh, view of life. You know, the Buddhist says that we Westerners come to a fork in the road and we think, shall I go left or shall I go right? Left, right. What's the answer? The Buddhist enjoys the fork. <laughs> That's <laughs> I what love they it. Say. Yoga, yeah. Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. 
when you come to right. that fork in the right. road, take it, you know? I yeah, love it. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, hey, tell but me I'll, what I'll was Okay, tell me what in your young in your young early days as a motorcyclist. I'd like to know two things. I'd like to know, and I think our listeners will too. What was your first two wheel powered vehicle? And then in your youth as a teenager, as a young rider, I will say we won't limit that to any particular years. Just your memory. Uh, what was your favorite motorcycle, real motorcycle, as a young man? And what was your first one? Okay, well I have to admit to you, I'm not proud about this. Not too many people know it up to now. I guess people will know it more now. But uh, when I was younger, my dad wouldn't let me ride. I solved that problem by stealing a few. And <laughs> steal them, ride them, and dump them. And nobody ever caught me. I was really good at, at, at not being caught, apparently. So my first few bikes were stolen motor scooters. And I'm ashamed of that, but that's what happened. It, uh, there was a scooter rental place close to where I spent my summers, and I, uh, I used to, I knew how to hotwire them and take off on them. So after the scooters, the first bike I owned was, um, I was at college. I got married very young, and and the lady who uh, I was married to, wonderful lady, and and we won a car in a contest. It was really crazy. We had no money. My dad was paying for the college, but he wanted me to just struggle and figure out how to earn eating money and stuff on my own, which is a great thing to do to make me learn how to survive. And uh, it was a great gift. I've tried to do that for my kids, you know, not make it too easy for them. But um, anyway, we won this car in a contest. It was a terrible car. It was an Opal Cadet. And it was brand new, I think, 1800 bucks. This is 1968, I think. And uh, so we sold it. We got like 1400 bucks, And I said to her, what should we do with this money? And she said, what we mustn't do is just pay our rent with it and stuff. Because then we haven't won anything. She said, we've got to waste this money. It was very smart of her. She said, what have you always wanted that you've never had? And I said, well, a motorcycle, but I can't have one. And she said, why not? And I said, my dad said, I can't. She said something that still makes my <laughs> resonate and expand. She said, so what? <laughs> And it was incredible what the thought, you know, the thought, so what? I could have what I want. It was a great moment. So anyway, I went out and I bought the first thing I found, and that happened to be a 125 Gilera. Now, remember, this is a long time ago. This is in the late 60s, which is an Italian four-stroke bike, um, and it seemed huge to me. And I remember my my back then, this is how you learned how to ride a motorcycle. I bought the bike. And the owner said, took my money, and he said, okay, look, here are the brakes. Here's the clutch. Good luck. <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the motorcycle instruction of the day, you know. There are the brakes. There are the clutch. Good luck. I hope you don't die. And if you didn't die in six months, you became a motorcyclist. That's, that's how it worked, you know. It's a terrible yeah. system. And now, now we do it much better. We actually teach people counter steering and threshold braking and stuff that can save their life. But uh, back then, you had to learn all that stuff by sheer willpower. Well, so I've had I've, I've asked those two questions of many, 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 many famous people and uh, AMA Hall of Famers and, and you know fabulous world champion motorcycle racers. But I have to tell you, you are the first guy that's been on this show in 150 shows to say that his first motorcycle experience were on stolen motorcycles. That cracks me up. I got to tell you. <laughs> 
Well, I'm not proud of it, man, but it's the truth. I was I was a badass kid, but and with some other kids too that were badass. But it's kind of where I learned how to be an actor, I think, in a way, because I was quick apparently, and I never got caught. Even when the other guys would get caught, they wouldn't tell on me. I wouldn't have told on them, right? So, and my parents would say, "Oh, these terrible boys! You wouldn't have anything to do with boys like that, would you?" And I'd say, "No, of course not. Oh, they're awful, those boys." Well, I was I was the ringleader, but. So I kind of learned how to be an actor from that stuff, playing the part of this good, this good little boy, you know, that everybody thought was so sweet. And, and uh, oh I just, my god, I that's, I was, I that's was hilarious! <laughs> that is really good stuff, anyway, Barry. So I got it too. Huh? <laughs> that's really good stuff. Honest to God, continue. It's it's all good. <laughs> okay. Well, then what I wanted so much, I was going to Yale University, and I and there they had this this row where you were allowed to park your motorcycle in the winter when you weren't going to be really able to ride it. It was too snowy and stuff. And I, I remember seeing at the end, when the spring started to hit, all these bikes would be covered with snow, and everybody would go out to try and get their bikes going again after the winter. And the, and the British bikes and the Harleys and everything else, they'd fight and kick and snort. And, you know, uh, back then everything was kickstart, and, and nobody could – get them running except for the BMWs. And I fell in love with BMWs then because the BMWs would be sitting there covered with snow and the guys would go out, turn on the gas, one, maybe two kicks, and the thing would be sitting there idling, melting the snow off its pipes. And that impressed me. I remember thinking that was something. And it's, I think it's still true of BMWs that they're, they're remarkable for that reason. So I've always particularly loved BMWs. And then I had this old Beamer I bought in Vermont, right before I went to Juilliard to go to acting school at Juilliard. And we were living in Vermont in this house my family owned, so it was cheap, you know. And I found this old Beamer. It was an R51-3, a 1953 Beamer. And it was lying in the mud behind somebody's barn, covered in junk and stuff. And I bought it for like 100 bucks, which is every dime I had in the world. And got it running, and I loved that bike so much it didn't even have a seat i made my my wife made me a a seat out of uh some leather and stuff and uh but i got hit i had that accident that you were just talking about the accident where the person turns left in front of you and says i didn't see you in fact the guy was mad at me for what i did to his car even though he almost tore my leg off but what saved my leg i didn't know you know how to be safe then i didn't know what to this guy pulled left in front of me and I locked the rear and slid into him, which is, you know, I didn't even, I don't think he used the front brake. I didn't know anything. I've learned since. But um, anyway, my leg was almost lost, but what saved my leg was that cylinder sticking out to the side. That, that yep. cylinder was torn right off the bike. That bike saved wow. my leg without question. So ever since I've loved flat twin BMWs because I think there's so much inherent safety in those cylinders sticking out to the side like that. Well, that, that's, that's true, but injuries that's are, true. You know. Perry, I know you're, you're right about the safety, but then there's that ethereal quality of the sound of an airhead BMW oh, old airhead yeah. flat twin. I mean, that oh, intake bet. sound, that smooth yeah, delivery is absolutely man, it's hey, I wrote, addictive. I've, I've got a, an R100 GS 80, 1989 that I bought new. And this last summer, four other old guys and I, three of them from the, the board of the AMA, we rode from Mexico to Canada along the Continental Divide Trail, right? So about oh. 10,000 feet up most of the time. About oh, half dude. the time, at least in the dirt, right? And I rode my old Airhead GS. And they all said, 
when we started out, they said, why are you riding that? You could ride any motorcycle you wanted. And I said, I am riding the motorcycle I want to ride. I love it. <laughs> and, and by the end of the ride, they all said, God, that thing sounds so great. They would just listen to the sound of that thing chugging up the dirt hills and stuff. It's magnificent, the sound of those bikes. I just, well, yeah. you, you can listen to it all day long. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's magnificent chugging up a hill. It's magnificent at seventy mile an hour just singing its song. Yeah. It's like it's beautiful yeah, engine. Absolutely. I think one of the coolest. One of the coolest. Perry, I got to take a quick yeah. commercial break. You cool with that? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Oh, you the man. No man. Wow, this conversation is even better than I thought it was going to be with Perry King, our guest here on the show tonight, and. Uh, I don't think I have to tell you now what a motorcyclist Perry is. Obviously, he is uh, inflicted with the same disease that is uh, consuming all of us at some level or another. That, of course, being motorcycling. One quick word before we go to break that that I want to make. And, and the reason I say this is there are very few guarantees in motorcycling. And there are very few guarantees at all in motorcycle safety. There's just not. I mean, yeah, you can prepare, you can practice, you can dress good apparel, you can you know do all that. I will tell you one thing. And first of all, I'm about to make a pitch for Clearwater Lights. And as I do that, I want you all to know that I was a Clearwater Lights fan, user, customer way before they came on as one of the sponsors of this show. So let me just tell you that right now. Here is a guarantee for you. And I guarantee you that it will happen likely on the very first ride that you make daytime, daytime ride now, mind you. Uh, with a bike that you have right now in your garage when it is equipped with a set of clear water lights. Now, my favorite clear water light package is the Erica's. And more on that in a subsequent episode. Not going to take time now, but you can find it at clearwaterlights.com. You go read about the Erica. It is my personal favorite. But here's the thing. You're riding down, let's say, a busy four lane, a busy two lane, it's bumper to bumper traffic, you're rolling about 35 miles an hour, and there's lots of ingress, egress, okay? There's cross streets, we'll call them, and people waiting to make a left or a right-hand corner out of the cross street. I guarantee you, on your first daytime ride, you will see this happen. That is, a motorist pulls up to the stop sign perpendicular to you on the side street approaching the, the road you're on, They'll make a move like they're the car will move like it's moving, like they're going to go and they begin to go. And then they see you and they see you because of your Clearwater lights, honestly. And Glenn uh, Stasky at Clearwater has worked hard to develop color filters for the lights that will identify you in traffic as something the brain is not accustomed to seeing. And, and, I, and then the nose of the car will go down. They will stop. It'll be like, whoa, they saw you. And, and, and what really, what Perry and I have talked to you about is to, to see and be seen on a motorcycle is a, can be a lifesaver many, many times. And I guarantee you, you will have that experience first time you ride the daytime in busy traffic with a bike with clear waters. They can and they do save lives, guaranteed. Much more to come. Perry King, our guest, and we're going to cover a lot of ground here in the next half hour or so. Don't go away. And thank you for listening. This isn't the sound of an engine. It's the sound of a moment, an experience, of your heart beating stronger than ever. It's the sound of discovering more. This is the sound of the 2017 Harley-Davidson Touring Bikes taking you on an unforgettable journey. Powered by the all-new Milwaukee 8 engine. 
and equipped with a new suspension that gives you more confidence, comfort, and control so you feel the difference. Discover more at h-d.com and live your legend. Compared with original equipment, 2016 Touring Models. the sweet sweet guitar sounds of a good friend of this show from the doobie brothers uh a man whose motorcycle prowess is legendary and whose musical skills are just over the top and you know who i'm talking about patrick simmons of the doobie brothers just love the guy hey um big news this portion of the show is brought to you by dunlop motorcycle tires the only tire uh in this world that you can buy for your motorcycle that's made right here in the usa and now they have introduced just this month actually the new dunlop uh road smart three do you ride a sport touring motorcycle or a sport standard this is a tire that should be on your shopping list let me tell you why it is equipped with MT technology. What the heck is that, right? Multi-tread, which binds a real high mileage compound in the center of the tire and high adhesive compound to the lateral flanks for exceptionally high cornering grips. Um, new front and rear tire compounds that will enhance wear resistance. Uh, they include an innovative resin that increases their grip in the wet, a new rear tire profile that's designed to increase the footprint of the tire and improve fuel economy. Not an easy balance, but they've achieved it with this tire and optimized construction for mileage and wet performance and so much more. But I want you to know that this tire has been in production now for almost a year and being sold in Europe. And now it is available in America, and you can read about it at DunlopMotorcycleTires.com or use your friend uh, Google to find out if it's perhaps a tire for you uh, to use on your uh, touring or sport touring or sport standard motorcycle. They have a size to fit them, I guarantee you, and you will need to check out the new Dunlop Road Smart 3. Uh, it goes right head-to-head against um, Pilot Road 4 Michelin's. Um, and so many Metzlers, all the all the good brands. It goes right head to head with them. In fact, in a recent comparison, uh, it put a road a, a, a power. What is it? Um, uh, road Smart Three bested the Pilot Road Three or Four, whatever their current one is, in the mileage contest by about four thousand miles, like eighteen thousand. I believe they got the test on a rear tire. I've never had a tire to do that, but uh, we'll find out if it's possible for me as well. Um, so this portion <laughs> of the show brought to you by Dunlop Motorcycle Tires. And our guest is Perry King. And Perry, man, I know you're busy. Um, thanks for taking time to be with us. Really appreciate that. Oh, it's great. I'm enjoying it so much. Thanks, Perry. Hey, what? Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, Simmons is married to one of the great uh, lady motorcyclists of the country. She just oh, Chris Summer camera. Simmons. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, Chris. Summer, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's um, ridden the Cannonball several times, I think, on a, a mid-20s, maybe, Harley, or even before. You know, they all yeah, they ride. Yeah, um, yeah. Effie. Uh, in fact, um, uh, she rode, she's ridden three, I believe, and they're every two years, as you know, so yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. And now she's got Pat involved, and they're both riding, but her old Harley's oh, name I is, uh, yeah, uh, he's done two, I believe now. Her old bike is named Effie in, in honor of the first female to do cross-country back in the teens or 20s on a Harley. 
Yes. So yeah. Cool great. chick. Cool chick. Yeah. We just right. we just got we just got back from two weeks in Hawaii and we were in Maui and we we went to their town. They were not in town. I talked to them and they were in in the States. They were on the state side. And so we didn't get to visit with them, but we went through their cool little town where they lived. I think it's called Haiku and a great place, but ah. uh, good people. Hey, dude, uh, you you somehow have managed to get a lot of work um, on television. Um, Can we look back on your career and you tell us what was uh, the job, the acting job where it all came together the most for you? Like loved working with the cast, loved working with the crew, loved working with the director, loved your role. What was the that one that you just couldn't replace? You know, I, I think I, I, you're right. I've been very lucky and it is luck. It is in show business. It's so I like racing. It's very similar to racing. It's so much luck. And I race cars usually for, for 20 years or more. And there's so much luck in both that and having an acting career and any actor, I'll tell you that. So I, but I have been able to work a lot and I've had so many good experiences and they all come down to the same thing of the old, pro the person who is the most skillful the most talented the most renowned that i i've worked with are the also it turns out the most generous giving helpful people to people who are trying to come up to people that don't know what they're doing you know when i was young i mean people like shirley mclean who was wonderful to me um in the first film i ever did or charlie durning um uh, Catherine Hepburn just took me under her wing one day and tried to help me, you know, get a part that I couldn't get because I was too young and I wasn't up to it, but she tried every bit she could. The best was a guy named Claude Rains. Remember Claude Rains, the actor? Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, he was in a million things, but one of them that people will remember is Casablanca. He was the Frenchman, Louis, you know, the French gendarme captain that he says at the end of the beginning of a wonderful friendship, Bogart says to him. Uh, right. Anyway, Claude Rains spent an afternoon with me just when I was a kid, really, 15, set it up. My father did this as a favor to me, had a uh, slight connection to him, and Rains gave me an afternoon of his life when he had very few left because I wanted to be him. I wanted to be an actor. And, and what he taught me that afternoon was the best thing anybody's ever taught me. And and uh, and it's it is whatever I have that I can give. It comes from this. Rain said at the end of that afternoon, listening to his incredible stories, there was this old man who was really dying, but he was everything I wanted to be. He had been everything I ever wanted to be. And I said, as I left, my father was dragging me away saying, leave him alone. He's we've exhausted him. And I said, Mr. Rains, before I go, tell me what's the most important thing for me to remember. And he said, and I could hear his voice, he said, the most important thing is enthusiasm. Now, I'm telling you, that was like a gift he gave me. And ever since, that's what I bring. At 5 o'clock in the morning when you show up on a film set, you know, or, or when the curtain's about to go up and you're scared, because you always are before the curtain goes up on Broadway, that's what I reach back down and grab. And the same with motorcycles and racing and Anything, you know, anything you do in life, man, enthusiasm covers a host of problems and weaknesses and deficits. Okay. And all right. Here's right from two, two things. First of all, 
Yes, I do. Because I remember him because of his um, several things. But I mean, first of all, the guy was in everything. I mean, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, Lawrence right. of Arabia. Wasn't he in Lawrence of Arabia yes. too? Yes, he was. Yeah. I, I will remember him for his amazing, extraordinary voice, which, by the way, you did a nice yeah. job uh, per impersonating oh, there, but great, great voice. You. But what you're you saying is like uh, one of my favorite uh, actors is also Robert De Niro. And I remember from The Untouchables, uh -huh. enthusi Enthusiasms. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you remember that or not in the famous scene where he hit the guy over the head with a ball bat. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Enthusiasms. That was the thing that he admired the most too. So yeah, good, good deal. That's that's good stuff. Um, gosh, oh, what were you yeah, well, you asked me what what could I not do without? And that that even though as early as that was, I was maybe fifteen or something at the time. But that's that's the showbiz experience without which I could not ever have done even half of what I've been able to do, which is you know, and I made a living doing something I love to do my whole life, which is an incredible sort of miracle in show business. The average, the average income for a union actor, a Screen Actors Guild average, uh, Screen Actors Guild actor, the average is about five thousand a year, I believe. So God, when you average their life, don't make any money. Right. Yeah, well, right. It's not a profession you can make a living at generally, and I have, and that's why because of what he taught me. And so well, you, going forward, now that I'm an old guy, I try to pass any of that stuff along that I can, you know, anywhere I can, that somebody's interested, if I can help somebody, I try to, to, to pass it. Like Shirley McLean taught me camera technique. We were doing a film. She was the producer. She was the star. I was brand new. I didn't have a clue what I was doing as far as acting in front of the camera, knew nothing. And she saw I was lost and she sat me down and gave me a quick course in camera technique. It took about 45 minutes. And it's all you need to know. And I've done that for a lot of actors. I've passed that on to other actors. Said, this is what she told me. This is what a mark is. This is what matching is. This is overlapping. This is key lights, you know? There's not a lot to it. Otherwise, film acting is just pure acting, same as stage. But there's some things that make it stand outside of other acting, film acting, that you have to you have to do you have to hit your mark for example the camera needs to know where you're going to land and that's it's sounds easy but it's actually quite hard to do well and she taught me those things so i i pass those along you know when i can and that's the thing that really i look back and 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 think of not so much the role as the experience of of learning and then maybe if i'm lucky getting to pass that stuff on well, i love that there's a, there's a thing I was listening to you talk about visibility, riding a motorcycle, and how critical it is. And you're absolutely right that lights are the right lights are the way, one way to be visible. But one of, I was thinking one of the things that I've learned over, oh, over like 45 years of riding a motorcycle around Los Angeles, which is very dangerous, very difficult. Oh, yeah. And, oh, I've ridden there many times. And, you know, and I, yeah, and I'm still standing after 45 years. And what I've learned to do, several things, but the most important one that I, anybody out there is wondering about, you know, be seen, but also to see, as you said, you've got to do the seeing yourself and see what's going on. And what I watch is the front wheels of cars. I People say, oh, look in their eyes, try to make eye contact. That's a waste of time. Somebody can look right at you and not see you. It's amazing. What yep. I watch are front wheels. Front wheels tell you what way they're going to go. 
and are they moving or not? So you're riding along, somebody's going to pull out. You're thinking, are they going to pull out in front of me? If you watch their front wheels, you know immediately as soon as they start to move, and you know which way they're going from which way the wheels get weighted. And it happens in a millisecond, but it gives you that extra bit of time. You know, uh, uh, you know Dan Gurney, I know, and a lot of oh, people yeah. out there know Dan Gurney. And Dan is a friend of mine, and the word he always uses for anything to do with motorcycles or cars is anticipation, and it's a great word, you know, being just that half a second ahead of everybody else. And you can practice that and try to see what's going to happen before anybody else. You ever, Barry, I'll bet you have this feeling all the time where somebody in a car does something and you think, I knew they were going to do that five minutes before they knew it. Yes, because you're I'm smiling. You're ahead of it. Yep, yep. I'm that's, smiling now. That's what you've got to do to ride. And anyway, you know what? Sorry, One I'm thing, and I talk over you. I apologize. No, 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 no. But we've got a little delay, as you know, and it's okay. I, I'm yeah. cool with it if you are. Um, one oh, thing yeah, when I'm I was, fine. but I don't want to yammer too much. Yeah. Oh, you can't talk too much. You're the guest on the show. When I was really young, um, <laughs> my, my uncle owned a Honda dealership in the, uh, from 1962 to 1972. I was eight when he opened it, 18 when he sold it. And sometime in those years, mm -hmm. um, Honda put out, American Honda put out a film called the invisible circle did you ever see that no i don't think i did uh -uh. it was cool there yeah, was a guy on a, what's it about it, it was awesome there was a guy on a super 90 honda it's my recollection it could have been something else but i think it was a super 90 honda riding in la in traffic in 1969 or something and they followed him via one of those glass bottomed helicopters and filmed everything and they had this red circle around him and it was, they called the film The Invisible Circle. And the point of the thing was, you have to ride as if you're invisible. And throughout that whole film, yeah. you could see people doing things that were bad yeah. for his health, you know? And I learned oh, that yeah. too. It's like, man, they can't see you. They're not going to see you. You're invisible. Yeah. 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 You really are. I mean, it's way better if you treat yourself as if you're invisible. The, the best thing I've found, aside from, as you said, good lights, but around LA, my trick, and I give this to anybody out there who's riding who wants to try it. I try to sort of look like a cop. And not a big deal. I don't try that hard, but I wear a white helmet. I wear a black jacket when I ride in the streets. And the bike I ride most of the time is a little 620 Multistrada Ducati, which is flat oh, yeah. black, right? Yeah. And, and it actually, for some reason, it has four-way flashers. I don't know why, but it does. So when the traffic really gets thick, I turn those on. And everybody, the, the traffic parts in front of me. It's like the parting of the Red Sea. It's amazing because they think awesome. I'm a cop for a second. Yeah. But it makes yeah, you visible. A, That's the point. That's the important thing. They notice you. Do you have a little microphone or uh, some kind of headset that you use, Bluetooth? <laughs> I could, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you had a Cena you had a Cena communication system with a with a microphone there. If you're using a flip helmet, a modular, or an open face, man, boom, right. you really that completes the look, man. It does. <laughs> okay, listen, we got to take our we're going to take our final break in the show, Perry. And um, thank okay. you, man. We're having so much fun. When we come back, I would yeah, like I to talk to you. Oh yeah, me too. This should but should have been scheduled to our show. Uh, when we come back, I want to <laughs> talk about. Your work with the AMA, there are some things going okay. on in D.C. that are concerning mm -hmm. to me, and I know you, and we want to learn more from you about them, okay? You got it. All right, Perry King, our guest. Great. And uh, we're going to head out to break, and we're going to come back with uh, much, much more. Uh, closing thoughts on the uh, Road Smart 3, 
is um, I just recently acquired a 2004 Honda ST1300 with only 17,000 miles on it. And it had a set of uh, Bridgestones on it, B-O-2-O's or O-2-2's or whatever they are. And I had to get get those off there because I'm a Dunlop guy. And I had a set of RoadSmart 3's that they had just shipped me. And I had them put on just about four days ago, 700 miles now. And let me tell you something, the RoadSmart 3 transformed that 20, that 2004 Honda ST1300, which is one of the all-time great handling motorcycles. Now it not only rides better, but it really handles better, I must say. Thank you, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires. Oh, and um, during our Bike Week shows down in Daytona, we are going to give away a new set of Dunlops to one of you. Forgot to tell you about that. When we come back, more with Perry King. We're going to talk legal business just a little bit with him uh, on the return. Don't go away. Dunlop is the largest supplier of original equipment and replacement motorcycle tires in the U.S. and the only motorcycle tires made in America. With operations headquartered in Buffalo, New York, Dunlop has been making and selling high-quality tires in the U.S. since 1923. With an unparalleled championship record, Dunlop race tire technology transfers directly to the street. Dunlop, the only tire for your motorcycle made in America. There are definitely there are definitely shows that you 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 would like for them not to end for a lot longer than they're you know they're going to end that's all because we have time constraints and you have time constraints as a listener and all that but man I hope you folks are enjoying uh, our time with Perry King as as much as I am um, it's a treat to have someone so open and and just explaining the their passion. Uh, so well, and uh, it, it motivates me and invigorates me, and I, I hope in some way uh, it does the same thing uh, for you. And at that, now I'm going to bring Perry back into the show. Uh, Perry, it has come to my attention over the last month or so, I have been seeing uh, at the American Motorcyclist Association has been putting out uh, all kinds of stuff via the AMA uh, action center, the federal action center. Mm -hmm. And one of, one yeah. of the things Perry, that's really, really, uh, upsetting to me is it appears that we have a federal agency who is holding motorcyclists who purchase 51 to 500 CC bikes, uh, European bikes hostage. I mean, it's, can you tell us a mm -hmm. little bit about the, uh, bikes for beef or whatever it is that's going yeah, on? That's what we call it at the AMA is bikes for beef. And it's basically the U.S. trade representative is in a big fight with, uh, with Europe over a food issue. It's um, the Europeans don't want to take our beef that has steroids in it. They don't want to uh, have a trade re reciprocity with our beef that has steroids. And, you know, you can argue that up and down and sideways. But whatever the case, we they have sucked in motorcycling into this. They're going to have 100 percent they're proposing. 100% tariffs on a whole lot of products, all of which are food except for European motorcycles from 50 to 500 cc's. So they're going to punish companies like KTM is the most noticeable example 
But there's other, there are a number of other examples, and you probably know that a lot of the manufacturers are just starting to come out with some really interesting little bikes, like 300, so BMW has a, a GS, it's 300 cc's that they're about to bring out. Anyway, so they're, they're pulling all these companies into this dispute that are motorcycles. Why? There's no rhyme or reason for it. It's ridiculous that, that motorcycles are being pulled into a dispute about food. And so we're, does, we're trying to urge everybody to go on the AMA website and sign the petition asking the government not to do this, to leave motorcycles alone. If, if they're successful, basically you, nobody's going to be able to afford any European bikes up to 500 cc's, which means off-road motorcycles. And, you know, Barry, I, I think that on its face it's wrong, certainly, but I also think it's part of an effort that I've seen and others have seen for a long time in the government, in collusion with insurance companies, to try to damage and, if possible, kill motorcycling. Uh, it's, it's, um, they don't, you know, motorcycling is in the way of a lot of things that the government would like to see happen, like autonomous vehicles. And there's no place right now for motorcycling in the new world of autonomous vehicles. We're going the proposal is going to have roads that, uh, have these vehicles that communicate with each other. And at the moment, nothing is being written about including motorcycles into that. There's a real war on motorcycles and, uh, you know, if we love motorcycles, we've got to fight it. My, my goal, the reason I'm on the board or have been for years is, like all of us, I want little kids to be able to fall in love with motorcycles the way I did. I, I want them to exist so they can love them the way I did. And they won't unless we fight for them because we have no – the way I describe it to people who say, oh, no, it's no problem, man. I don't need to get involved in that. I – I got a right to ride my motorcycle. Well, the point is you don't have a right to ride your motorcycle. There's no Second Amendment in this country for motorcycling. It's a privilege to ride it, and they can withdraw that privilege in a heartbeat, and then we're out. We, don't, we can't ride them. And, and you can see it in California. In California, in the last 25 years, we have lost 75% of our off-road legal areas to ride dirt bikes and off-road bikes. So that access is gone, and it's not coming back. And we lost it because we didn't fight hard enough. And the way to fight, simple, join the AMA. That's, it's that simple. When we testify in front of Congress, like Rob Bigman did the other day, or whenever it was a couple of weeks ago, in front of the U.S. Trade Representative to argue that bikes for beef makes no sense, first thing they say is, how many motorcyclists do you represent? Well, the AMA now represents about 220,000. But there's 10 million motorcyclists. Now, we say, yeah, but we represent all motorcyclists, even if they're not members. But if all 10 million or even half of them were members, I'm telling you, they would listen to us a lot more. Right well, now, it's and, hard to get that power. Well, and I would like to add that, as you know, in Nazi Germany, when they, 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 they came for the old saying, they came for the guns, and I didn't mm -hmm. object because I didn't have one. They came for this and I didn't object because they didn't have one. And we all know where that story ended. Right. Rights are lost incrementally. Yep. That's just how it works. Um, yep. Well, yeah, I mean, like I've been a member of AMA my entire life. And I mean, you got all those benefits. I mean, roadside assistance, uh, your freedoms to ride yep. being protected. You got the magazine, which is awesome. And, and all that they do, plus all the clubs that they sanction and the members only discounts and all of that stuff means a lot to me. But 
when it comes right down to it, the, the work they do in DC is invaluable. One thing I'll say to what yeah. you said, not only do we need to belong to AMA, but sign the petition. Um, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there is, they cannot, there's nothing more powerful than tens of thousands of motorcyclists joining together to express their concern for the bikes for beef tax there. I mean, those yeah. they AMA needs our support and believe me, those senators and congressmen and all of those involved in governance, when they see that many people uh, expressing their concerns about a pr proposed legislation yeah. or whatever, Hey, they react to it. Don't they? Absolutely. We, we proved it just a few years ago. I, I can't say we, the AMA, did this all by ourselves. All motorcyclists were involved in a lot of organizations, but we were among those at the forefront of a thing that was a lead ban. There was a, a ban against anything that included lead that would come in contact with little kids. A well-intentioned effort, but motorcycles got sucked into it. They said inadvertently, a lot of people felt it was intentional. Who knows? The fact is that if that had gone unchallenged, you wouldn't be allowed to buy little kid-sized motorcycles. So all the, right. the mini bikes that you and I fell in love with when we were kids and everybody else did, they wouldn't exist. They'd be gone. So the AMA went to bat along with a lot of other good organizations. A lot of people went to Washington and made it known that we were refusing to accept the idea that, that motorcycles – the idea was that there was a certain amount of lead in the battery on the bike or – there was some other component. There were a couple of components on the bike that, that had lead in it, so you couldn't sell those to kids or for the use of kids. Now, yeah, I've never yeah. seen a kid eating, trying to eat the battery of his motorcycle. So <laughs> worried about that happening. But anyway, no, I, I, we, that was huge. The point. We won, and the reason you could buy a mini bike for your, your kid if you want today is because of the AMA and other organizations fighting for your right. And, and it's just not good enough to leave that fight to other people. you got to join in with it. Well, I agree with you. And the deadline to sign this petition is coming right up, like March the 7th. So now is the uh -huh. time to That's go exactly online right. and do it. I mean, it's, you can do it online yeah. on the AMA's website. It's really yeah. easy. No excuses whatsoever. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. There's a lot more, though, too. I mean, it seems to me that there's oh, always... Yeah. Oh, man, all kinds of legislation. And I want to note that um, I recently saw uh, that they were uh, sanctioning, oh, gosh, I forget how many, like tons of 20 or so races, race events in Daytona Beach during Bike Week are sanctioned by the AMA mm -hmm. racing. They're huge. Absolutely. Well, the AMA, that's what they're principally in the business of doing is sanctioning and running competition. And yeah, that's uh, right. we've been doing it for, since, I think, 1927. I think that's the date that the AMA yes, started. Sir. So it's a long history. It's, it's, it's almost as long as Harley's history, you know, the AMA's history in this country. Of Definitely. Motorcyclists and, uh, and making sure you have a place to do it. I, I, the best I ever heard anybody explain this problem is this. somebody, I wish I could remember who said this, but somebody one day said to me, if motorcycles were invented today, does anybody seriously think the government would let us ride them? And of course, the answer wow. is no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't no. let us ride no. quads or side-by-sides or anything except in very controlled environments. You know, they, they, we yep. wouldn't be free to ride. The only reason we can ride bikes and love them the way we do is because we're kind of grandfathered in because we started along with cars at the same time. But it'll right. go away in a heartbeat if we don't fight for it. And it doesn't the make any sense, Perry, because... 
we're, we're, we spend less on fuel. We, we, we pollute less. I mean, it's like, we are the great, great commuter vehicle here, you know? Absolutely. In LA, you know, most LA drivers do not get this sadly, but in LA, when I lane split, I've been lane splitting for over 40 years in LA and I've learned the truth about lane splitting, which is it's safer than not lane splitting because you can't get hit from behind if you're lane splitting. And that's the biggest danger on a freeway when it slows way down is the idiot behind you who's working on his cell phone is going to hit you. If you lane split, if you go between the lines of cars, you can't get hit. So it's safer for me, but also more importantly, in a, in a, in a way more importantly, I'm using space that nobody else can make any use of. So I'm one less car. I'm, I'm helping the problem by being on a motorcycle. Now, in Brussels, in uh, Belgium, I, a few years ago, not many years ago, they did a study, and they took, I hope I can get these figures right, I think it was they took 10% of the people that were commuting. Brussels has traffic like L.A., apparently. They took 10% of the commuters and put them on their motorcycles because a lot of people had bikes there. And they reduced the traffic congestion by 40% by taking only 10% of the cars off. So they figured if they had 25% of those people on motorcycles instead of cars, there would be no congestion at all. That was how it mathematically worked out. So there's no doubt that motorcycling is a social good. If you oh, no question. LA, you're the whole mess. No Aside question. The fact that you're using much less. I get, I get around on on whatever bike I ride, and I'm getting from 40 to 50 miles per gallon at least around in L.A. traffic. And it's great for me. I never worry about parking. I just put it in plenty of little places, you know. There's no such thing as a traffic jam for me. And, Perry, um, I've I've ride from Daytona Beach to uh, California every year at the end of the season, many times to announce it. Yeah, I announce a Grand National Flat Track race out there, and it's fun, and – but when I'm in California, especially LA and lane splitting, I must tell you the drivers truly 90% of them or more give way. I mean, they actually, they're they're not, they don't act mad. You know, they don't act angry that Ah, I'm going by them. I'm shocked by it, but yeah, well, anyway, that's my experience. Your, 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 your experience is probably way better because you got so many more miles, you know, out there doing it. But I, I'm shocked that they don't try to cut you off. And if I did that here in Daytona beach, man, I'd be under a, under somebody's sport. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> well, that's one of the so. things that's one of the things the AMA is trying to do is, is get the whole country to make lane splitting legal everywhere else. It's legal. All of Europe lane splitting is legal because they recognize that it's good for the motorcyclist and good for the car drivers, good for the congestion. So it's a, it's a benefit to everyone. Now, you can lane split stupidly, and it's very possible to do it. And I see people doing it, which means very quickly. And you can go, if you're a good rider, you can lane split very fast. But eventually, you'll get caught. That is, somebody will do something, and you won't be able to react in time. So it's stupid right. to do that. I just chug along and, and, and go through it, you know, like it's, uh, like it's a rainy day or something. Ride like it's raining, you know, just chugging along. Yep. Uh, two years ago when I came down the mountain into LA, I forget the highway, I guess it's 10. I don't know, but I'm on this, I'm on the interstate there and it's bumper to bumper backed up. It's nighttime. It's raining buckets. I'm on a Kawasaki W650, uh, little 650 Uh Kawasaki. Man, Great great bike, great bike, but man, it's treacherous. That place is, uh, uh, it's a concrete jungle, man. As a motorcyclist, it's combat every minute, really. 
yeah, but um, it's true. It's hey, hey, before I let you go, which is imminent, I know. Um, I know you've been hard at work on um, mending fences, so to speak. Uh, can you talk to us about uh, the divide that you're working on? Oh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. That's that's oh, that's my that's been my dream my whole life as an actor since 1970. I guess I got started professionally. And uh, I've always dreamt about making my own mon movie. And I saved my money and saved my money because it was always clear to me the only way to do it was to pay for it myself if I could, because then you have the power, then you have the control. So finally, about 15 months ago, I guess, I shot my own film up on my cattle ranch in Northern California. Again, I'm really lucky, and I got to, got to end up being the owner of this magnificent 500-acre piece of land with cattle on it. So I shot a movie, we wrote the movie, we shot it. It's called The Divide, and it's about, uh, how would I say it? Let's see, it's about an old cowboy who earns redemption in the eyes of his daughter. So it's about the drama of ordinary life. It takes place in 1976 during the last big drought in California. And it's about this guy who's fighting drought in his life. He's fighting drought on his ranch. His family life is, he's estranged from his daughter, his wife has died, and he's also experiencing Alzheimer's, the beginnings of Alzheimer's, which at that time, nobody knew anything about. That term really didn't exist in, in the social world to say Alzheimer's the way it does now. Nobody knew anything about it. Nobody knew how to help. People would just say, back then they'd say, oh, he's getting slow, or he's losing it, or he's getting soft, or... Or maybe they'd say he's getting senile, but even that was not scientific. So it's a film about, you know, this, this old guy trying to make his life come together and turn out right. And uh, I'd like to think it's in the tradition of very old-fashioned movies like John Ford movies or, or uh, uh, John Steinbeck, uh, that kind of thing. Not, not a modern film at all. Uh, I'd also love to think that it would be the kind of film that Clint Eastwood might make, you know, his films yeah. are always old fashioned in the best sense. Um, but I finally got to do it anyway. I'm in it. I directed it. It's my passion. You know, it's all I care about. It's all I've been doing for the last basically three years. And it's all I want to do other than ride my motorcycle. That's all I do is try to, and right now I'm close to the end of what's called post-production where I'm just starting to get it all wrapped up and put together. And uh, uh, and I'm also happy with it, which is amazing to me. I've almost never been happy with anything I've done, but it's it's my favorite part I've ever played. It's my favorite result. I, I love this film. Um, you know, it just doesn't happen. You, uh, in the last 20 years or so of acting, generally, I, I don't even... I, I, I don't even like to go see the things I'm in because I'm always so disappointed, not in them so much as myself, but this I'm happy with. So we'll see what happens when it comes out. I hope everybody will try and find it. It should be out this summer in festivals and then distribution, you know? Okay. I'm caught. I'm totally caught up in the passion and enthusiasm that you have for the divide. But in addition to just that, uh, really, that is like a infectious thing, you know, but it also, I'm hearing things in you that I really appreciate hearing. Like I don't listen to this show, Perry, but I hate listening to myself. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. I, I don't listen to my yeah. own show and I know I, I should, know. you know, Hey, let me ask yeah. you this. Did, didn't, it's um, very hard. You know, if you it's care, hard. It, it, it's, it's hard because you care so much. 
People, right. People say you you don't care enough to see the films you've been. I said no. The problem is I care too much. I care so right. much it hurts. Right. It's, it's all disappointing. At the moment, I, this may change, but at the moment, I'm not disappointed in this movie. It's the movie I love I'm it. meant to make. I love it. I believe I can say that, but it really is the movie that I and my partner in it, Janet Brown, who who wrote it. Um, it's the movie we meant to make, and we're kind of astounded to be able to say that, but it's it's true. <laughs> well, so no, with that. correct me correct me if I'm wrong, but like I'm a one, I'm a westerns fan, and and Open Range oh, was uh, Open Range. Mm, I thought was yeah. a great great piece, and yes, if I'm is. not mistaken, didn't Kevin Costner go that same path? Yes. Didn't he fund it and do everything himself? I, I, you know, I don't know if he funded it, but I know he directed it. Yeah, I think I he no did what you did. Yeah, it yeah, may I be think that I... he funded it too. And it's, it's a terrific movie. I agree. And one of my favorite Westerns. Um, yeah, mine too. You know, it, mine too. It, uh, I love Westerns. They're the only thing, you know, we Americans, we tend to think that we invented movies with Hollywood, but we didn't invent movies. It's not true. The Russians actually invented movies originally. We just really? took them over. The one thing we, we did with movies, the contribution we made was the Western. Now, the, what that means is we invented the concept of this, these stories that are told in our old West. But more, more specifically, they're stories told with a tremendous sense of morality and ethics to a very simple, pure sense of ethics and morality, bad and good and what, right and wrong. That was our contribution to the movies, and it's a damn shame that we don't make Westerns much anymore. And this it new technology, you know, it's modern, but it, in a, it's 1976, but it's definitely a Western. And that was always one of the things I, I wanted to make a Western like, you know, one that had a huge impact on me was HUD. Paul Newman and Melvin Douglas in HUD. Do you remember that film? Yes, I That's do. This film is black and white and will not be anything but black and white. And see, that's what I mean by paying for it myself. I, I can say that. I have the power over it. We, if, if I had investors, they'd say, oh, no, we can sell more if we make it in color. And I wouldn't be able to say that. But because I paid for it, I could say, no, no, this is a black and white movie. I always wanted to make a black and white movie. It's so beautiful in black and white. Um, so, what, was the, what was the movie that um, was a Hallmark miniseries? Um, turned into and it turned it's a five nights you know kind of thing and it was a western um i can't recall the name of it it's well oh lonesome dove i mean goodness gracious oh, lonesome um, dove. oh my god oh. robert duvall and lonesome dove that may be my favorite performance by an actor in my entire life very i i'm a i'm a professional actor right i've been doing it my whole life right and I'm watching that thing, the scene where Robert Duvall dies in Lonesome Dove years in the oh 80s my God. or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. And I just about decided, because back then I was working in television a lot, and I just about decided it's impossible to give a, a world-class performance on television because it's just too, it's too fast and the, everything's too quick and the, you know, the networks have too many requirements and blah, blah, blah. It's very self-serving, letting myself off the hook because I'd never given a first-class performance, so I figured it's impossible. And I'm watching Robert Duvall in the scene where he dies with Tommy Lee Jones, and yep. I was sitting there sobbing, sobbing, and I was thinking, wait a minute, I'm a grown-up man, I'm a professional actor, I know this is an actor. I was sobbing like I was losing my best friend. It was incredible. 
just magnificent to this day because of that. But even before that, when I get, I don't know Robert Duvall. I've never met him. But as a professional actor, when I'm doing a scene and I'm stuck, I don't know how to play it. I close my eyes and try to imagine Robert Duvall playing the part. And I've done that several times. And when I can sort of see and hear him doing it, I think, oh, God, that's how to do it. Now I know how to do it. Oh, <laughs> he's so man, good. That's, he can that is, teach me something with imagination. That is so rich. I I love hearing that. And well, no doubt to me, Augustus McCray and Woodrow F. Call, yeah. uh, oh, that, God, that, and, and how many yeah. one-liners came out of that movie that are rules for living? Oh yeah. And I'll tell you something about Tommy Lee Jones. Again, I, I don't know him. I've never met him. He, he was sort of, he was at Harvard, sort of the actor at Harvard when I was the actor at Yale back in the late 60s. But anyway, Tommy Lee Jones is about the only actor I know in Hollywood these days who can really ride. I mean, really ride. That guy is a rider. And you can, the way he gets on, the moment he gets on, you know, you know if somebody can ride. And the old Westerns, you can see this all the time. The modern Westerns, you never see anybody do this. When you get on a, a horse, a Western saddle horse, you, you hold their mane with the left hand and the reins with your left hand. You grab the pommel with your right hand, and that pulls the saddle back on the horse's back. And he's strong. He can, that's fine for him. But everybody gets on by holding the pommel with their left hand, the cantle, the, end of, the rear of the saddle with their right hand, and then they're pulling the saddle off sideways off the horse. And, of course, the horse stumbles toward them. And, but, you know, these days and nobody grows up really riding, really covering. He did, I think, because he can ride. He knows how to, like, he knows how to sit a fast trot. And that's something I've never seen anybody be able to do except the cowboy, a real cowboy. Yeah. Well, I'd, I think I know another cowboy that could ride, and that's Perry King. Oh, well, I, I, I hope I can ride like he can, because that guy, every time I see him, he's, uh, you know, my problem is my horse up on my ranch, I, I'm okay when I'm in the saddle, and I can get off fine. But I can't get on anymore. I can't sit. I'm so old now that, so I have to bring my horse up by this picnic bench I have, and and my horse, you know, they're all <laughs> horses are way smarter than anybody gives them credit for. So I'll line my horse up on this picnic bench, and I get up on the picnic bench. He's very tall. He's he's a, a horse I rescued from uh, called a Premarin from the making of that medicine Premarin. They used to take those horses and slaughter them, and I saved his butt. And, and, and raised him, right? He's, he's, I don't know, 17 hands tall, so he's way up there. And uh, I get on the picnic bench, and I start to swing my leg up in the air, and he knows just what he's doing. The moment he start, I start to do that, he moves about six inches away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and I'm hung out to dry, you know? And he does it fully. He's giving me a hard time because I'm using the picnic bench, and he knows I love just it. what he's I doing. Love it. <laughs> oh, Perry. Perry, that's awesome. Listen, we've got um, about two minutes left here. I got to roll. Uh, okay. They're going to ship. We schedule time on Blog Talk. Get this. I, I normally schedule an hour. I had a feeling after talking to you on the phone, we needed more time. So I scheduled an hour and a half. And exactly three oh, minutes good. and 10 seconds from now, it's going to quit. Um, thank you oh, so okay. very much. Thank you for all that you ah, do for you, motorcycling. Jerry. Thank you. It was great. I love talking to you. You got a great oh. show. I've listened to it for a long time, man. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. I hope you go thank forever with it. Thank you. And will you come back when the divide hits the, hits the screen and, and let's yeah. talk about it again, please? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. We should also talk some before the event, I would think, with uh, Kenny Roberts in that event, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we, we will. You and I will be. 
we will. We'll talk again after. Yeah, after that's all done yeah. deal. Yes, sir. We're going to do we're, it. We're, and we'll have Kenny on. No, no, no. Yeah. I think we're going to have Kenny on too. So, yeah, it's all good. Oh, really? Oh, great. Oh, wonderful. There, wonderful. Well, there's a good chance. I'll put it to you that way. Good chance. So, yeah. All right, buddy. Thanks coolest, again, Perry. Thank guy you. guy in America, I think, that guy, Kenny. In my opinion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the man. Thanks, Thank the, you so much. I know we're gonna I, we're gonna get shut off. So I've had a wonderful hey, time. Thank it's good to be king, and he is the king. I have two, <laughs> buddy. Thank you. Thanks. That, bye bye. That's that is, ladies and gentlemen, Perry King, and probably one of the funnest radio shows I have ever done. I must say, wish we had another hour. Can't thank you enough. Hey, oh, by the way, this portion of the show brought to you by Bell Power Sports. And don't hang up on me, okay? Stay with me for just a minute because I want to talk to you about one thing and one thing only. The new Bell Star is out, and it's only $449 in solid colors. And check it out. And my go-to helmet of all time, Bell Mag9. Check them out at bellhelmets.com. I don't know how to thank our guest tonight enough, but thank you to Perry King for being on. It was really a thrill, really fun. And I appreciate all that he is doing on behalf of all of us motorcyclists and only hope he continues to have that fire in his belly and that passion uh, to keep carrying that torch high for all of us in motorcycling and his great work with you. Uh, and we'll have lots more shows coming up about Bike Week, so don't go away. Uh, for all of our folks that make this show happen, we thank you. Time to go. Blog Talk says so. Thanks again for listening, folks. Ride hard, ride safe, and have fun. <laughs>